0: You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing, Marketing Secret, Gold, Members Only Podcast. Ten ways to um, to uh, double your income in 90 days. And so I'll give you sort of the roadmap because this thing gets divided up into th- three hunks and we may not exactly end at good break points in hunk number one or hunk number two, I don't know. but So, so I'll give you kind of the roadmap. So we are going to talk about Hopefully, within the context of part one, we're going to talk about the power to prescribe, which nearly changes everything. How to get speed and why we need bridges and fences. How to turn every customer into at least two by doubling or tripling their spending. Um, The the lesson from pioneers, what to do less of. And hopefully in part two, we will talk about how to profit by the excited customer, how to clone them properly, uh, and how to own oil wells instead of being merchants. And in part three, we will talk about cash stampedes, or what I usually call a cash flow surge, um, the high cost of staying on well-marked trails, and how to get paid 100 times for the same work that you are now getting paid once for. So that's where we're going to go. So, sort of let me say as preface that one of the, and I picked on somebody last night, there's always somebody who hands it to me when we do Q&A, by the way. So, what everybody wants, including you and including me, um, is a very simple solution to a complex opportunity or a complex problem. So, mostly... When clients come to me, especially if they didn't sort of ascend through our ranks and they have come somewhat unprepared, um, they come and they basically want a better ad. Um, They want a thing that is going to, for example, double our income or double our lead flow, or fix this problem, or fix that problem. And we do Q&A, somebody always tees it up. You know, they ask a question structured that way. There's all sorts of ways to get to the same question. You know, it's if you had a gun against your head and you were starting over and you could only do one thing, what would you do? Um, uh, If I have a choice between doing A, B, and C, which should I do? There's lots of ways to get to the question. It's always a really lousy question. and depending on the mood I'm in, I'm either kind or unkind to whoever it is who asks it. But um, um, a few years ago, unfortunately, in the young entrepreneurs thing, some little kid asked it, and I really scorched him. And I felt, you know, and I felt bad afterwards. But yeah, um, not for very long. But um, but but it's always such a bad question, and it's sometimes amazing that. Pretty sophisticated people, CEOs of big companies, even ask it. You almost would think they would know better. But it gets asked in various forms a lot. So, the preface to going through 10 categories of things, in which, like, so you guys all know who Howard Berg is, right? He's spoken for us a couple times, speed reader, remember guy. You remember when Howard was on Fox? I don't know if you know, he was on Fox. When they first passed Obamacare, he was on the Cavuto show for five nights in a row down in a little box in the corner. And so he's speed reading the bill. And he's the only guy, probably, who's ever read it. Um, um, and, And, of course, it turns out that even the promise that you have to pass it so you'll know what's in it, even that promise wasn't true because now they're changing it every day. So even after passing it, nobody knows what's in it. But Howard actually read it. And he has a fairly high level of comprehension as, as a reader. And he said, the, the thing about it is it's not 2,200 pages. He said, because almost every paragraph refers to something already in law, which is itself 2,200 pages. He said, so really, if you actually cross-referenced everything and tried to fully comprehend it, it's, you know, 2 million pages. Uh, which means nobody will ever read, including Howard. Well, in a sense, this is the same. You know, there's a thing to do, but then there's 20 different ways to do it, and 200 perambulations of it that you have to wade your way through. And so so the preface for talking about 10 things is, if there was just one way to double your income every 90 days, pretty much that would satisfy most people, right? It would have put me out of business years ago, of course, because tell it once, you're done. But But it would satisfy most people. The fact of the matter is, there isn't. Uh, 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 Goals like that are achieved by stitching together something from here, something from here, something from here, hence the necessity for 10 things that all have subsets, and that doesn't mean they all apply to you, Uh, and it does mean that you can cafeteria it to a certain degree. Uh, Certainly, probably nobody uses all of them simultaneously at the same time, not that somebody couldn't. But there is no simple answer to complex opportunities or solutions, including the substantial and fast income increase question. The flip side of that is I want you to know that it is almost always possible in somebody's business. Now, just just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean we should do it because it comes with certain trade-offs, and we're going to talk about some of those. But it's almost always possible in somebody's business. It's easier in a business that isn't very well run, uh, but that has customer flow, than it is in a business that is relatively well run. It's usually easier in a non-GKIC person's business than it is in a GKIC person's business, because they're dumber about what they're doing and so they've left a lot of easy ground untaken care of. But it's almost always possible everywhere. The big company, it's impossible simply because of sheer size, but if you take a piece of their business, so I mean even as well run as Disney is, and I go and marvel all the time at what they're doing, it is possible for me to see in pieces of their business how you could take that piece and double its revenue by the kind of things that we're gonna talk about here. So it is almost certainly possible in yours. That doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna decide to do it, but it's almost always possible in yours. So let's talk about the first one first, which would be a good idea, which is uh, giving yourself the power to prescribe. And that, that can do several things. So the objectives of getting it right are, number one, it can allow you to double your average fee or your selling price, which is the fastest and easiest way for me to accomplish my promise. Um, uh, uh, It can allow you to double your closing percentage, leaving your price where it is, which is the fastest and easiest way for me to fulfill my promise. And it can allow you to cut down the sales time required from someone's expression of initial interest to the time that they make a decision. I worked with a B2B client all last year and the year before, and we have now got their average sales cycle down from 22 months to four and a half months. Now, we haven't improved anything else yet, to be candid, but we have done that, and that's pretty substantial. All three of these things, or any of them, can be greatly facilitated by the power to prescribe. And the reason the power to prescribe is so powerful is simply because when you are selling, no matter how you dress it up, when you are selling and when you are perceived as selling, there is guaranteed resistance. And when you are prescribing, there is often very little resistance. So it does all of those objectives very nicely. You probably possess more of it than you know because most people actually want to be relieved of their decision-making responsibility. Founder of the National Speakers Association, a very genteel fellow by the name of Cavett Robert used to say a very un thing. Cavett said everybody's walking around with their umbilical cord in one hand looking for a new place to plug it in. Uh, he, he's more right than wrong, more of the time than not. People want to be told what to do. So... In the last two months or so, I've dealt with two fairly big corporate entities, which is not my favorite thing in life for a variety of reasons. But in one case, I've sat with the CEO, the CFO, and the VP of marketing who combined are being paid, I don't know, 10, $12 million a year to manage this company. And what they really don't want is, which is what I tend to do, because I feel like you should ultimately be responsible for what you decide to do in life. So what they really don't want is a very clear and thorough explanation of their options in order to accomplish their objective, So here's three things you could do, and here's the pros and cons and costs and times and each of those three things, and they all have pros and cons because there's nothing in life that just has pros, and there's nothing in life that just has cons. So here, that, that's not what they want. When that's all said and done, these, these powerful people who are being paid a large sum of money by their shareholders and their partners to manage this entity simply want me to tell them what to do. And by the way, if I don't, they leave unhappy. Um, and if I do, they wind up giving me a lot of money or giving someone I refer them to a lot of money. So it's in my best interest to satisfy them. It is candidly not always in their best interest uh, for me to satisfy them in that way. It would be better if they were actually functional, um, uh, 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 because I'm not there tomorrow. Um, for the next thing they need to be told what to do about, but that's where they are. And uh, most people you deal with, this is what they really want. Uh, In the diet industry, there's a series of books. They're very popular. Uh, If you haven't seen them, they are educational because they are in fact so popular. They have virtually no facts, no information and they certainly have no options. They're really picture books. And on one page they have what not to eat, and on the other page they have a picture of what to eat instead. And I believe the title of the book series is Eat This, Don't Eat That. Right? And I believe, I think there's four titles in a series and I think they topped a million copies in their first year in the marketplace. And the truth is that's really what people want. Right? They want it that clear, that simple, that, and it doesn't matter how complex their problem is, they still want that. Secondly, people seek authority figures. So if you feel like you aren't, you would perhaps be surprised at how easy it is to be, one, because everybody is pre-wired to try and find them, all right? Who are they going to get to tell them what to do? They need an authority figure to tell them what to do. And ironically, perhaps maybe ironically, oddly at least, it tends to be the more affluent customer who seeks out the authority figure even more. They are accustomed to expert advice about everything. So if you're going to go by, if, not you. I don't want to put you in So if your brother-in-law who is a very ordinary fellow, is gonna go buy a car, he goes and buys a car, If you're gonna buy a real high-end luxury or exotic car, you might very well hire a broker. If you're gonna buy a pre-owned one, you might hire an appraiser. In horse racing, where I live, in the the harness racing is the sport of us poor people, but the sport of kings, thoroughbred racing, almost nobody goes to an auction without their own agent, an advisor, who is helping them decide what horse to buy. And incidentally, getting a fee from them and a commission on a horse. So they all show up with an advisor. Some of them show up with three advisors. They got that guy, they got their own veterinarian with them, uh, and they got their trainer. And there's this little entourage of experts advising them on what horse to buy. So the affluent person is more conditioned to this. The last thing you should know about how relatively easy it is to give you the power to prescribe is that people take confidence in diagnostic processes. They draw confidence from the idea that there's a diagnostic process involved in getting to this prescription. So chiropractic before, so chiropractic changed in this regard for two reasons. One was legal. It was foisted on them. But everybody did a great favor, actually, in foisting this particular regulatory mess on chiropractors. So chiropractors, way back when, didn't take x-rays. So how many of you have been to a chiropractor? Raise your hands nice, nice and proud. Okay, good, wonderful. So you know the drill, right? And so if you've been in the last 10 years, and yes, unless you've been to a real rogue chiropractor in a real small town who defies law and gravity, uh, part of your experience has been x-rays. And then when you get your report of findings, they put the x-ray up on the light box and they show you all of the horrible things that are wrong with your spine that they are now going to take care of. Well, they didn't used to do that. Chiropractic was all about spinal manipulation. And the the diagnosis and the treatment were the same. Doc puts you on a table and felt and diagnosed with his hands. And then he said to you, here's what's wrong with you. And here's what we gotta do to fix it. Then legally, everybody said, well, you can't be doing that. Okay. So you gotta take x-rays and radiate the crap out of people. And and, and and you gotta use x-rays. And initially, all the chiropractors were like bent out of shape about all this, but they had no choice. However, in this case, the regulators did them a great favor. They handed them a demonstration of diagnostic process that was more believable to the prospective patient into a greater number of patients. Now, of course, a patient can't read an x-ray. So the patient has no earthly idea what he's looking at. He could be looking at somebody else's x-rays. You wouldn't know. How would you know? Right? I would know. I've done enough chiropractic. But you wouldn't know unless you're a medical person. Right? And you don't know. He could be gobbledygooking you. Oh, I have my favorite example. I just got this. you got to hear it. There's has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's funny as hell. Um, listen to this. Are you ready? Through resource prioritization, policy alignment, outcome maximization, and performance accountability, we will enhance our position. I'll, I'll do it once more. You might have missed something. Now listen close, because I improved on it in a meeting very recently. So you just heard what I said, I'll give you the improvement. Through so resource prioritization, policy alignment, mutual masturbation, outcome maximization, <laughs> and performance accountability, we will enhance our position as one of the... Um, all right. So, you don't know what any of that means, and you don't know what an x-ray means either, right? So, there's hair analysis for nutrition. There's draw blood for nutrition. And people take confidence in this. There's even kind of goofy ones, no offense intended to anybody, but you've all been put through the kinesiology diagnostic thing of uh, hold your arm out, we pull on it, we put a bag of sugar in there, we pull on it and look, it demonstrates that you. So that stuff, people draw confidence from that. It's better than being told. And in many cases, the more complicated the diagnostic process is, the better it is. So if you were at InfoSummit last year and you were in the information marketing business and you saw Tom Arendt uh, do his presentation about how he sells coaching one-on-one, a critical part of that sale is the big, long, complicated questionnaire that everybody has to fill out before they get on the phone. Now that serves two purposes. One, it actually gives him some useful information that he uses when talking to the person on the phone. But the main purpose it serves is it gives him the power to prescribe. Now the truth of the matter is, they all got the same eight problems, and they all need the same cures, all the dental officers are screwed up in the same way, he doesn't really need that to be helpful to them, and he certainly doesn't need it to take them on as a client, but they feel so much better about letting him tell them what to do when they have gone through a diagnostic process than without a diagnostic process. So when you give yourself the power to prescribe, this is one of the ways to do it. It will, done right, allow you to shorten your selling cycle, to sell more complex solutions, which the complex solution sells for more money. So how many of you know who Gary Halbert was? Okay. So Gary and I used to have this conversation all the time, and it's one of the things I'm right about. I was right about it then. I'm right about it now. So Halbert would tell everybody from the front of the room, and just in general conversation, pretty much, all of the time. um, At one point it was 25. At another point it was 35. The dollar amount really doesn't matter. So we'll use 35. Okay. I charge $35,000 and 5% of the gross to write a full-page ad. And, I, and, and very early on, I said to Gary, this is a very dumb thing for you to do, right? Because you have just pre-framed the client to want, need, and only buy a full-page ad. But what if they need three full-page ads? What if they need seven? Better yet, right? So when somebody comes to me for a full-page ad, so four years ago, big corporate client comes, and this is what they want. They want a better, full page newspaper ad, which if I were Halbert, they would have come prepared to spend 35,000 bucks. I would have taken $35,000, I would have given them an ad, everybody'd be happy, right? I'd like to be happier. So that's what they came wanting. When they left, they had a $2.2 million project, Because right? you don't just need an ad, you need lots of ads, and you need different size ads and you need a website for every ad. And on a website, you need a video for every ad. And then you need a fulfillment package for every ad. And then you need an email follow-up system for every ad. You need a phone script for every ad. The phone script has to be different depending on what ad they call in on. Look at this complex mess. Now, without the power to prescribe, I don't get away with that. It also serves the client, by the way. They did need all that stuff. It's not like over-prescribing, but the power to prescribe. You close a higher percentage of people because you are prescribing. Hardly anybody questions the true specialist. So I just was speaking to somebody in the auto repair business. So Midas is running an incredibly stupid TV commercial right now. So Midas is running a TV commercial where, well, the first thing that's stupid is they now have this talking gold hand, have you seen this thing? But, but that's not my point. Right? That's dumb enough. But this commercial, watch for it. They have the hand coming to this person's door, knocking on the door. Right? And he's like a poor person. Right? Which I'm not sure why you want poor people as customers, but he's clearly like a young, poor person. Right? Like he looks like he just came up out of Mama's basement. And the hand says something to him about his car why is your car not in the driveway or whatever and the poor young person says oh it's down at the shop and it's going to break me I think he says I don't even know when I'm going to be able to go pay for it and pick it up and the hand says well you should have brought it to Midas because we will tell you how little you can get by with doing now and what you can wait to do later now Um, the first time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, if I'm a Midas franchise owner, and I have a brain, I am on an airplane on my way to corporate headquarters with a gun. I, do you really want your business flooded with a bunch of people who want to do the cheapest, littlest thing they can possibly do and procrastinate about everything else on their old beater car? Is that who you? Is that who you want? And then... Think of the price resistance of this customer. Well, you need struts and you need, you need this and you need that. Can't I just get by with these? That's what you're gonna hear. $40, uh, what can we do for $18? This, 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 is, this, is what you, this is what you just brought yourself, all right? So the guy now has no power to prescribe. All right? You want maximum power to prescribe, so not only do you close a higher percentage, but you close at a much higher price with much less resistance. So my car guy takes my car, one of them, when something is wrong, and he says it needs X, and I go, fine, is that all it needs? Because, well, you got it. If it's going to need something else, you know, fix that too. Right? I don't even ask how much. I don't question. Right? I have a trusted advisor who I view as a trusted advisor. He prescribes. I say yes, just like the doctor. Right? You will have more committed and enthusiastic customers, thus more referrals. So here's something a lot of people don't understand. So again, I'll use chiropractic as an example. So There was a revolution in chiropractic at one time. It is returning to all medicine. No insurance coverage, cash only. In our office, you pay cash. And when that was done, so if a chiropractor was completely out of insurance and only cash, he could charge whatever he wanted and he could structure pricing however he wanted. All bets are off, right? Which led to the revolution in chiropractic called prepay. And so if you've been to a chiropractor, most chiropractors are, were and are pay per visit. So Doc does the x-rays and he says to you, okay, you, here's your, this part of your spine's falling out and pretty soon you're going to be crawling on the ground and you're going to need to be pushed around on a wheel cart late in life. And, and, and to fix that, you need to come in three times a week for the first four weeks and two times a week for the next, and then once a month for the rest of, for the next 10 years. And it's thirty-eight dollars a visit plus six bucks if we lay a hot towel on you, and an extra twelve dollars if we hang you from the door. That's well, I'm telling you, that's the normal pricing model. Okay, so when the prepay revolution came. That conversation changed. Everything I just said was the same. You got to come in three times a week, then twice a week, then blah, 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 and click, 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 click. That totals up to thirteen thousand eight hundred six dollars, and you can take care of that in one payment and save ten percent. You can take care of it in three payments and save five percent, or you can do it in six pay. Okay, that became the conversation which by the way, we'll loop around to it because it's part of the 10 things. It's one of the ways that we used to take a chiropractic practice that was doing 10,000 a month and take them to 100,000 a month overnight. All right. So, But here's what, here's what everybody's fear about it was. Oh my God, the patients are gonna, they may say yes to it, but they'll feel like they got beat to death like buying a used car at the used car lot and they'll never refer anybody to us. No, the referral rate from patients who prepay has always been significantly higher than from the patients who pay per visit. Why? Because they're more committed. And when they're more committed, they're more enthusiastic about the commitment that they have made and are in. Therefore, they are more likely to refer. So it helps that. This also creates a much less stressful sales life When you are prescribing and not selling, stress and tension comes out of that for both you and your client. The worst situation for me to ever put myself in is to be in a room with people who don't get it at all, and I am now trying to sell myself and what they need to do. Bad place to be. Zero stress for me is prescribing. So after four or five hours, at the end of the day, somebody says, what should we do? Fine, here's what you should do. Okay, zero stress. They're not stressed. I'm not stressed. Everybody's happy. So here's here's how to commandeer the power to prescribe. So number one, you have to attract. You can't prospect. People have to at least believe they are being attracted, not pursued. The people with the power to prescribe are never perceived as pursuing. The cardiac department at the Cleveland Clinic does not have anybody cold calling into neighborhoods, getting people on the phone. And saying, does anybody in your family have a history of heart problems? Is anybody feeling a little stressed out tonight? You having a little trouble breathing? Nobody. They don't cold call. And a surgeon definitely doesn't cold call. Right? And if he did, people would run the other way clutching their hearts. So there has to be at least a sense of no prospecting. I am discovering you and I am making a decision to move toward you. Second, you have to have expert status, authority, and preferably celebrity. So here's the difference in medical. If you go to a doc in a box place in your neighborhood, so you go to a doc in a box, you go to the urgent care center, and you are now, how many of you have ever had to go to one of the urgent care centers, even just to get the, you know, some, antibiotics or something? Okay, great. So if you go there with anything of significance, like the last time I went was with an ankle injury, um, you, you of course, are sitting, you know, there's just curtains between you and the people on either side of you. So there's a guy next to you with a nail in his head. And there's a, I mean, actually, that's who was next to me, a guy who had shot a nail into his head. And, by the way, waited until, they, until the game was over before he came in with... <laughs> With the, with the with the nail in his head, but and and, base, and and basically, the doc is a guy who can't you know he can't hold a practice together himself and he can't get a job at a decent hospital so he's working in the doc in a box place. The guy taking care of the nail in his head is probably a gynecologist, um, <laughs> and 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 he may or may not. So look, th- this isn't funny, but this well it is funny. So my my first my first wedding i don't think i've ever told this story and i really don't know how to talk about so my first wedding we were broke and so but and the place i tended bar in on weekends is where we had the reception and i started drinking real early that day and so i was i was pretty lit by the time we got through the wedding and got to the reception i mean i was still standing up but that's about as good as you could do um, this whole thing was very stressful she was Catholic and divorced, and so you know, her parents are convinced she's going to hell, and her family's sitting all the way over there, and my family's sitting all the way over there. And When the minister saw it, he took me in the office and got out a bottle of booze. So I started drinking with the minister before the service. This is when so, so by the time we're at the bar, I mean, I'm pretty lit, right? So somehow I like broke a glass with my mouth and swallowed a bunch of glass. So I am now in the emergency room at Akron General Hospital in Akron, Ohio, with glass stuck in my throat, in the ER on a Friday night, you know, at like midnight. And I swear to God, the Asian of some descent doctor confesses to me, he works there on a weekend and he's a gynecologist, I swear to God. (laughs) Um, The whole thing was an omen. So, so, so if you go to the Doc in the Box guy, right? I mean, you could have just, you know, undone it then. Um, saved everybody a lot of trouble. Um, so if you go to that Doc in the Box guy and you go in there for an ankle or a nail in your head or indigestion that won't go away or whatever, and he comes in and he says, you're one step away from a heart attack and we gotta slap you on the table, slam you in the ambulance, get you down to the hospital, cut you open, and fix that thing right now. I'm not sure you're going. You're probably going to ask some questions. You might want a second opinion. If you're a really fluid person, you're undoubtedly going to get on the phone and get your doctor on the phone at that point. Now, if you happen to be in Mayo for the executive physical, and you are with a a really great doctor that you sought out to go to in the first place at the Mayo Clinic. And he all of a sudden says the same thing. Word for word. And we got to slap you on a table and get you downstairs and get you over to the heart wing and we got to cut you open and we got to get to work right now or you're dead. Most people take off their clothes, lay down on a table, all right? Here's, here's my wallet. Please call my spouse. Start wheeling, baby. What's the difference in this picture? The status of the person in the mind of the patient. That's the only difference in this picture. Celebrity comes in because a lot of people erroneously attach great credibility to celebrity. Therefore you can't afford to ignore it. So. Huge numbers of people are glued to Dr. Oz every day on TV, wanting to be told what to do. They have no... So I'm always amused. So we live in the age of information resistance. And marketers need to know it, so you use it to your advantage. So she'll like me saying this, but nevertheless... So my wife is an extremely intelligent person. And she has been around this game for 30 years. Missed a few here or there, but generally speaking, 30 years. So she knows this thing that we do. She is transfixed by Dr. Oz. So for fun, I ask, what can you tell me about Dr. Oz's medical experience? Yeah, you got it, he was on Oprah. Yeah, I mean the answer to that question is zero. She don't know. This guy could have been thrown out of three states for all anybody knows, everybody knows, right? Yet worse, Dr. Phil. There are people, Dr. Laura. So there's people glued to Dr. Laura Schlesinger's advice. Okay? I think this woman has been you know, divorced like five times. She's been in a porno film. She, 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 and she's now giving Christian family. Okay? I mean, the great uh, John Gray, the women Mars, Venus guy, and Barbara d'angelo's the Making Love Last, woman, people don't know they're divorced from each other. They hate each other. They've been suing each other for 25 years, right? uh, and, and, and people, oh, tell, tell me about my relationship. Oh, please, uh, yeah. um, uh, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. You owe me alimony. I, I want half your business. This should be the book title, right? So I mean, these people are transfixed to Dr. Oz. So he has credibility and authority because he's a doctor and he's a celebrity. No questions asked. Now that's the important phrase. No questions asked, because that's your objective, is no questions asked. And when you pile all this up right, you get to be in a position of no questions asked. Now I hope you use it in a responsible manner, just like the liquor companies run the disclaimer, please drink responsibly. Drink a lot, but please drink responsibly. Uh, uh, so, because so, this is really powerful, and you ought not abuse it by over-prescribing, for example. But it is so powerful that when you are in the no-questions-asked position, you pretty much get to name your price, you pretty much get to name your terms, you pretty much get to have it the way you want it. Next thing you need is specialization. So specialization also confers the power to prescribe because we automatically believe if you specialize in something, you're better at it. So the minute an auto repair shop becomes a exotic car auto repair shop, they are perceived to be better. The only thing that we know they're better at is signage. That's it. We don't know anything else. And for the most part, nobody asks. Here's my technician. Great. How many Jaguars has he worked on? The sign says, no questions asked. We specialize in Jaguars. Great, right? Yours is the first. So specialization gives you the power to prescribe diagnostic selling which we just talked about and then customization or the perception of customization real customizations better but perceptions better than nothing sequential agreement so this is very cool this you have to think about You get to the power to prescribe through a series of agreements. And it's useful for you to make a diagram or a list in order of the things somebody has to agree to in order to buy from you. And actually, the things they have to agree to to give you the power to prescribe. So almost, the first thing on almost every list is they have to agree they have a need or a desire for X. So if we're, gonna, if we're in the home theater business, somebody has to agree to start with that it would be a cool idea to have a home theater in their house. So that's like number one. But then there's a whole bunch of agreements that have to occur before we get to the point that they are ready to let you prescribe exactly what they're, just turn you loose. Here, here's my living room. Put in my home theater, hand me a bill. No questions asked, right? What agreements have to occur? Because there is sequential agreement. If you have, if you were at uh, the opportunity concepts marketing training, or you uh, or you own it, you will find in there what we call the eleven agreements, and and they apply to a lot of things. But they come from the sale of our kind of stuff, opportunities, training programs, coaching, and something. There's eleven agreements that people have to agree to sequentially before they will basically accept your prescription and hand you their money. It's useful to know that in every business. Invalidation of alternatives, it's useful to wipe out all their other choices, okay? And some danger of delay or urgency of timing, it affects the closing rate and all that, but it also enhances your power to prescribe when somebody is in mortal danger or has an urgent reason to make a decision. They are more likely to hand over power to prescribe to you because they're under pressure. So, if if I'm selling burglar alarms, home security systems, and I want the power to prescribe, one of the things that is useful to me is if I am in homes in a neighborhood where there have been recent, well-known burglaries, people will get to giving me power to prescribe quicker because they feel in a hurry to get a security system from somewhere and get it put in place. So they will now ask less questions. If they're in a gated community and they don't think there's been a burglary in there for a decade, um, there's no pressure. So they'll ask more questions. They may not hand you the power to prescribe. They may interview 10 people before they hand you the power to prescribe. So these are all the things that you can do. Number two is obviously directly relevant to uh, this evening's session. I'm just going to show you. So let me give you a few examples. So Steve Adams, I don't know, is Steve here? You want to yell if you're here? No. Well, in one sense, it makes it easier. Um, so Steve is a titanium member of mine and Steve uh, owns 22 pet stores just bought four more underperforming stores because he knows what to do with them and one of the things Steve has in every one of his stores is a certified pet nutritionist to the best of my knowledge there is no body of authority that I believe he's got a copy machine and a certificate master and some picture frames that you could buy at Walmart. I think that's, and a white coat and a stethoscope. By the way, you should always put a stethoscope on all of them, whether they use them or not. I immediately bring up the closing average of chiropractors when I hang stethoscopes around their necks. They have no reason to have one. They don't use it. It doesn't make any difference. When in doubt, get a stethoscope. So, if you go home with nothing else from these three days. Um, So, in every store, Steve has a certified uh, pet nutritionist. Um, They actually are certified by a program he created with a university. So, there's a, I forget the name of the college, but there's a local, a known university in at least one of his main market areas at the bottom of the certificates he does in his back office. They now have a certified wellness counselor program. They just started a university. So they're gonna have the pet nutritionist and a wellness counselor in every store. But right now they got a pet nutritionist. And they do their best to steer the customer from the off the shelf stuff to go have a counseling session with the certified pet nutritionist who then analyzes your your mutt. So you bring the dog in and he does a cold read on the dog. No, they draw blood. <laughs> and they, so they draw blood. And they get a blood panel done. Just like Doc does to you. Right? And then they come back. And they prescribe exactly what this dog ought to eat. Which has to be custom mixed for the dog. Right? Now, A, Price pretty elastic. Everything I just put on the list, it's diagnostic, it's customized, it's, there's an authority figure, yada, yada, yada. Everything I got on the list is there, all right? uh, Price, pretty elastic, all right? Something we didn't talk about but is really cool is painted disconnect, all right? Because, so we're talking about fences and bridges. So this is a fence, first of all, because if the Customer is buying a brand name product off the shelf at his store. That brand name product is sold other places. And I may suddenly wake up today and be out of wellness brand dog food, and I may usually go to his store, but there's a target right down the street, and I'm going there to buy toilet paper. Uh, and go to Starbucks that's inside Target, because there's Starbucks now inside everything. I'm going to go over to Starbucks, have a cup of coffee, buy toilet paper, and I can pick up the wellness brand dog food I need in a hurry right there. And, oh, shit, look at this. I just got the wellness brand dog food over here at Target for, for a bucket a can less than I pay when I go over to Steve's stores. I just learned a real bad habit and, and a real important fact. So all that can happen, and it's all bad. Hmm? can't happen with the customized blend made just for the customer because it's not available anywhere else. Big fence. Pain a disconnect. I don't want to go there anymore. We move and now it's 20 miles further to go there. But who am I gonna get? Huh? Plus, every three months you should re-blood test the dog. Well, facts change. And we need to change. We might need to adjust the stuff the dogs get. Oop, pain and disconnect, All right? So that's diagnostic and prescriptive, okay? That's the difference between selling products and doing diagnosis and prescription. So I have good friends in the timeshare industry. Some of you have undoubtedly seen a timeshare presentation. So how many of you from Marriott or Hilton or you know, or lesser known companies, at some time in your life, gone through a timeshare presentation? Okay, good, all right. Um, So how many have gone through Disney's? Okay, not that many. So here's what you gotta do. There's a homework assignment. Next time you're in Orlando, I don't care if you go to Disney World, don't make any difference, don't go over there if you don't want to. But go get the timeshare pitch. They have one, it's called Disney Vacation Club. Go get the pitch. Right. It will be different than any timeshare pitch you've ever seen in your life. It's better, of course, but it's better in really important and instructive ways. And here's one of them. Very early on, the person says, and why exactly are you interested in owning Disney Vacation Club? Now, that's such a cool question that so many salespeople do not ask. So the year, and I haven't had an apparel salesperson do it yet since. So I'm in a Bernini store in the Forum Shops in Vegas some years ago. And, and I come in, and the sales guy comes up and says, what would you like to see? I said, like Suits. And he did something that no suit salesperson has done before, and no suit salesperson has done since. He said, why do you want to see suits? I said, well, because I don't want to walk around naked, you know. I said, well, because in my business, I need suits and well, what's your business? Well, you know, so I, you you, know, you got to give shorthand answers. You can't explain. So the guy that's with me pipes up and says, well, he's a professional speaker, which is true. It's just, you know, not the total truth, but it's true. And it was truer then than it is now. And the guy says, well, how many presentations do you do a year? I said, about 70. Now, the reason he got that, he asked that question, is because he later divided the cost of the suit by 70. All right. So he, he's asking, well, what kind of audiences do you speak to? How big an audience? Oh, wow. So you need a suit that not only looks good from the stage, you need a suit that looks good on camera, right? Because you're really being shown on screens. I said, well, yes, that's right. Well, not all suits look good on camera. Well, I didn't know that. This is a piece of information I did not have before. Mm-hmm. So this guy diagnosed, accumulated information, as did the Disney Timeshare person, and then used it against me. (laughs) Hardly anybody does this. They're just not that smart. Some people have diagnostic devices. You are all familiar with, but many of you do not use enough. Some version of the, take this quiz. This is one of the simplest forms of diagnostic selling there is, yet it works, so you should all have one. Some sort of either self-scoring or scored by you, interpreted by you, or self-scoring quiz, that is engineered to create need. Everyone fails. It's only a question of how badly they fail. Let me tell you what these scores are. If you scored 47 or more, you are almost certainly suffering from significant to severe hearing loss and would be well advised to immediately get your data. If you scored from 28 to 46, you may be suffering from mild to moderate hearing loss. You should get it to, because your hearing troubles may not yet be negatively affecting you, but hearing loss does not improve and usually worsens left unassisted over time. Um, uh, okay? So every score, like down to two, uh, you, 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 you need to get your ears in here like now, okay? So if people take these, they respond to them. It's a step in the right direction to giving yourself the power to prescribe. So, boy, are we relate. Number two of our ten, the best way to drive cattle fast. So the best way to move people along fast is often slowly. And coupled with this, we are going to talk about how to turn every ad dollar into two before you spend it. So here is the number one marketing mistake I see all the time. In various ways, I have been talking about it now for more than 30 years. I have somewhat changed the terminology, but the mistake hasn't changed, and my talking about it really hasn't changed. The mistake is asking everybody to take one big LEAP. And we only then get the people who take the LEAP. So the financial advisors, they get old people in rooms for workshops with free dinners. So they lure them in with food. Here, old person. Here, old person. And, 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 and they get them into the work, workshop and they do a dog and pony show and then they book up appointments and their whole life is, how many can I get in a room? How much did it cost me to get them in a room? What about all the people who heard your radio ads, saw your TV commercial, got your direct mail piece, paid attention to you, had some level of interest, their curiosity was aroused, their interest was aroused, but you are asking them to make a giant leap and they may not be that hungry. Let's see, here's what I gotta do in order to take the next step and get some more information from this guy about this thing he has interested me in. I have got to round up mama. I gotta leave the dog at home alone for the night. We gotta, we gotta find where we put the thing that turns the lights on and off so we didn't get burglarized. We got to get in a car. We got to drive all the way across town to a place we're not sure where it is. We got to park the car. We got to go into a room and there we are going to sit with people we don't know and somebody is going to get to the front of the room and God knows what they're going to do. But the one thing we do know what they're going to do, regardless of what they tell us, is they are going to try and convince us to buy something. I don't think I want to do that. And there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to do that. As I was with the other day, very, very smart. Their business is very, very good, but I'm about to make it at least double what it was overnight because the only offer they put out ever is come in, let us test your heart. So the leap from a Valpac coupon or a Groupon listing, or a website, or an email, or a postcard is, round up mama, get in the car, come over to this clinic you've never been to before, take off your clothes, let us stick things in you rub you or around you, and see what we can find. I don't know if I'm ready to do that, but there's a bunch of stuff they are ready to do. Now, you don't have to necessarily abandon. That's a one-step offer. And 90% of all marketing is about one-step offers leap across a canyon. The auto industry is entirely about come to the showroom this weekend for the sale of the century that will never repeat again until next weekend. Put yourself in a small room with a sales guy looming over you and talk about buying a car. This is the only offer. This is it. It's a one-step offer. So they spend a fortune in advertising to offer something that only a small number of people compelled to act now will say yes to, thereby not doing anything about the people who saw their message, read their message, heard their message, listened to their message, and have their attention grasp, their interest aroused, but are not yet ready to take a leap. So the way you turn every ad dollar into at least two or three or four is you offer a two-step offer. Either instead of, in rotation with, or has AB option two. Oh, by the way, if you're not ready to round up mama, get in a car, come over here, take off all your clothes, let us probe you and try and sell you something, but you are concerned about or interested in or intrigued by, at least let us send you X. You have at least doubled your ad dollars. Now, you may trade down ever so slightly the response to the one step, But the leads you gain from the two-step are profound. So this is about building bridges. Not asking everybody to jump across the Grand Canyon towards us all in one leap. And understand there's a big difference between what they see and what we think they see. You don't think you're scary. You don't think it's a big damn deal to get in a car and drive across town and come to a meeting. Just because you put on meetings all the time. What's the big deal? Harry, with his life savings under the mattress, has only gone to three meetings in his life. And two of them didn't work out so good. What he sees and what you see about what you do, two entirely different things. So the minute you stop asking everybody to leap across canyons and you start to build bridges, it allows you to build a lead bank, a pipeline of leads at the same time you make immediate sales. And to mine that lead bank for future sales. So I'll show you an exact example very quickly. I'm going to show you two. So here's an option offer. So this is in the world of the financial advisors. You won't be able to read this. It doesn't matter. I'm going to read it to you. But this is a reduction of a giant postcard all about a free workshop where you round up mama and get in a car and come on over here. And when you come, by the way, you also get a copy of this great free report. All right? This is the back of that postcard. And here's the critical words. They're right down here in a P.S., PS says, everyone attending this special meeting will get a copy of the new special report on your own two feet, why you can't rely on government and how to stand strong against future financial upheaval. If for some reason you can't join us for my meeting, at least let me send you this provocative report. For a free copy of the newest report, below the same title, call the office at X number or go online and watch a brief six-minute video. And then if you like, request a free report, insert website, which I won't read you. There's no cost, no obligation. The best thing to do is attend a meeting and go home with the report. But if you can't attend, at least let me mail you the report. All right? That's now a secondary reason for response. In this particular instance, there's no trade down on attendance. There could be. It would be a good trade. There's no trade down on the attendance, but the same ad dollar also captures a bunch of additional leads who were not going to come to the meeting. They now can be given a bridge they can move across one step at a time, and value can be gotten from them. The A offer is to... Take away the meeting or the consultation altogether. This is an ad currently running in Forbes and all sorts of different places for a wealth manager, client of mine. It is a classic lead generation offer. It offers a free book. It is for a rich guy who has just sold his company. That's who it's for. There's a couple different ways they can request it. Now, what everybody in his business does is advertise, and they usually have no direct response offer at all, but if they do, it's like, call us. That's the offer, is call us and we'll talk to you. That's a big leap. This is non-threatening, easy, etc. So the minute you, you build bridges instead of asking for leaps, you have more people to sell things to than you had before. Number three, in Deadwood, Every bar was a whorehouse, and every whorehouse was a bar. And then they added casinos, and most of them had a We Buy Gold shop in the back corner. So the way you turn every customer into two in spending power is you give them more stuff to buy. The customer most likely to buy from you is the customer who has already bought from you and is currently buying from you. He usually has the capacity to buy more stuff, then you have the capacity to offer him, which begs the issue of cross-selling. And understand that customers are, to use the term now in a different place, they really are whores. So again, I'll pick on my friend Ron, because for several years I spoke at Ron's, he does an annual event for people in his world about, how to be in information marketing. It's the how to be like Ron event. And remarkably, hundreds of people. Um, So so I think for three years in a row, at least several times I spoke there. And I would make this point to the audience. So Ron is not shy about asking people for their money. And he is well organized at it and effective at it and thorough about it, and relentless about it, and persistent about it, and fairly aggressive about it. So here's a room full of people involved in real estate investing who are Ron's people. And they have had no shortage of invitations to give him money for various and sundry things, frequently, repeatedly, persistently. And I would always ask for a show of hands of, okay, Uncle Ron's not looking, You can be honest, how many of you in the past three months have gone to some other real estate guru seminar and paid to go there? And 90% of the hands go up. And then I would name names. How many of you own so-and-so's course? All the hands go up. How many own so-and-so's course? All the hands go up. Well, the point is, even somebody like Ron who's like on it, giving them invitations to give him money. They still sneak around out the back door and they go give money to somebody else in the same category. So imagine how much of that is happening if you're not doing as good a job as Ron does. Most customers share, are shared by multiple merchants in the same category. Customer sharing is a fact of life. Some of it is random and erratic. Oh, you're here, the meeting room's cold, you go buy a sweater. Therefore, you didn't buy a sweater from the clothing store you usually patronize in your hometown. They just shared you with another merchant. That's random and erratic. But a lot of it is fairly constant. So consider a restaurant. And many people, Carl and I included, have maybe another couple or a couple couples who you, once or twice a month, go out to dinner together. And there is always the conversation of where do you want to go? Mostly because everybody's polite, that conversation is a two-way, three-way, round-robin at least four or five times of I don't care where do you want to go, I don't care where do you want to go, I don't care where do you want to go, right? All right. And finally, somebody expresses a preference, at which point somebody says, oh, I don't want to go there. And then, and then the whole damn nonsense starts all over again, right? Which I refuse to play any part in this. I delegate it, but, but I've heard it, so I know it goes on. So what's really happening here is, because most people now have like three, maybe four, sometimes only two, that are their favorite restaurants that are put into this bucket from which a thing is gonna be drawn, and they're gonna get the business, right? So what you really have is, say, if it's two couples, and it's three restaurants a piece, that's six restaurants who are sharing that customer unit twice a month. None of these restaurant owners ever realize this, and even if it is explained to them, they then do nothing to reduce the sharing. They just let it continue unabated. First thought in my mind would be, how can we get one of them other restaurants out of the hat? Or how can I get my name in there on three tickets? That'd be the first thing I'd be thinking about. So you have to understand that customer sharing goes on in virtually every field, every business, if not by the customer, perhaps by a family member in the customer unit. And what you want to figure out is how to reduce the sharing of your customer. There's a lot of ways to do it. One way is good, effective cross-selling. So we have five different things you can buy from us. You only buy two. We got to figure out how to get you to buy one of the other three. Restaurant, there's certain customers who only come there for dinner. Well, gee, we serve lunch. We gotta figure out how to get them to come here for lunch. Even if we have to give them lunch to get them to come here for lunch. So cross-selling, here's the list of all the stuff we got. Here's customer Billy Bob. What does Billy Bob buy? He buys these two things. We gotta make a concentrated effort to get Billy Bob to buy one of the other three. What do we just do? We functionally increase the value of Billy Bob by 33%. If we can get him to buy two of the remaining three, we just doubled the value of Billy Bob. It's everybody's good, his going and getting another new customer who we're only gonna sell two things to. So in GKIC, for example, we have a path. Many of you have been on the path. Many of you are unwittingly now on the path many of you now will be on the path, right? So we take the restaurant owner, we leave him be as a restaurant owner, but we also turn him into an information marketer to other restaurant owners. So I know Ben's here, but I saw Ben Glass earlier. So we get Ben Glass as a lawyer, although I have my issues. We leave Ben being a lawyer, so Ben continues to be a lawyer, doing evil as lawyers do, Uh, we we, we, we leave him be, but we also turn Ben into an information marketer to lawyers. What did we just do? We just made Ben into two customers, not one. He still needs all the stuff we sell him to help him make his law practice better, but now he needs all his other stuff to do info marketing. Before, he could just come here, super conference. He still needs to come here, plus he needs to come to the info summit. So we have a very deliberate path that I created that turns one customer into two. And incidentally, for the most part, it turns the good customers into two customers that's the path you want to figure out for your business as well because the single most important the single most expensive thing that you could ever possibly do in life in most businesses is what get a customer it's the most expensive thing anybody ever does in business is get a new customer. Well, actually, the more expensive thing is get a new good customer. That's the most expensive thing they do. So, you make a dramatic difference to your profitability when you turn every good customer into two. In a sense, we actually turn some customers into two another way. And in some respects, we turn some customers into three because our relationship with Infusionsoft is so incestuous by design that when Ben, for his law practice or for his info marketing business, also begins to use Infusionsoft, we basically turned him into, let's say, two and a half customers. if he happens then to get a bunch of lawyers to also use Infusionsoft, now we've turned him into three customers. You understand this is not accidental. This is called strategic thinking. (laughs) This is called, it's really hard to get a bin. It really is. It's very hard to get one. So how can we get two of them? Waiting for his kids to grow up, by the way, is not... I mean, we have that plan. It's called the Young Entrepreneur's Program. It's over there in the other room, okay? We're, 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 we're at work on that, but it's really slow. <laughs> it takes a long time to get a second Ben that way. I mean, he's got nine of them, but I think two of them don't speak English, and it's a big problem. Okay, four. Four. Pioneers crawl home of arrows. So one of the ways to double your income in a hurry is invent and experiment less, implement more. So most people do an enormous amount of unnecessary and unproductive invention. And here's why. Number one is they have false ideas about things being old and worn out and everybody's already seen it. There was a thing in all the direct marketing trade journals about three years ago People were actually having this as a debate and arguing that guarantees were worn out. And there was no point using them anymore because everybody had seen them so much that they didn't have any impact anymore. I mean, intelligent people entrusted with money were making this argument. It is ridiculous. Most sales, most purchases are made, the decision is made in some sort of a vacuum. Risk reversal is an important part of every purchase. You are more likely to buy anything and everything if there's some sort of risk reduction or risk reversal attached to it. I don't care what it is that you are gonna buy. I mean, it just is beyond comprehension. But people get this, oh, it's old. I just client, we had a very successful infomercial on the air for eight and a half years consecutively. It ran somewhere every night, and he idiotically ran it in his home city every night because he liked to see it. Right. Unfortunately, what this caused was, so he would set his alarm clock. You know, this thing's going to be on at 2 o'clock in the morning. You get up and watch his show. It's on a videotape. You can watch it as much as you want. Oh, and that's not the same as seeing it live. I'm going, oh, okay. Right. So he's a very strange guy. So pretty soon this set up the weekly conversation of, we got to shoot a new show. Why? Because everybody's seen it. It's going to wear out. So no, you watch it every night. See, the world doesn't watch it every night. The person who buys from it, they, they, they're not tuning into it regularly, you know, like the Simpsons. That's not what's going on here, you know. Oh, we got to shoot a new show. Everybody's seen it. Eight and a half years, we didn't shoot a new show. I talked them down out of the tree every single week. Because okay? show me the facts. Call count down, leads down, sales down. No, not worn out. So people do a lot of unnecessary invention just because they think something's old. Therefore, they ought not use it. Boredom, they get bored. A lot of people say they want stuff that runs on autopilot and then when they get it, they're restless and unhappy and they monkey around with it even when they shouldn't. They get bored. It's a great place to hide. Invention is a terrific place to hide. It's a better place to hide than implementation. See, it's hard to hide in implementation because we can kind of see, did you do something or didn't you? (laughs) But you can hide in invention. You can be in there forever doing the next new brochure the next new step that has to be done before we can pull the trigger on the first step. So it's a place to hide. A lot of people do a lot of unnecessary invention purely because of ego. They have to justify their existence to themselves and or to others. So it, 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 yeah, I, tell this, I tell this long story that Troy Aikman told me, you just saw him at the Troy told me about the year Barry Switzer coach there and uh, the punchline of it is Barry comes in the first meeting and he says, "A gentleman, you guys all know how to win a Super Bowl. You don't need me to tell you how to win a Super Bowl. I'd kind of like to have a ring. you got capable assistant coaches, so here's the way this is going to work. I'm going to stay out of the way. I'm not going to screw anything up, and I'm not going to bother you unless and until you guys aren't winning. Bye. Out the door. And Aikman said, you may have just seen the smartest guy we've seen in the last 10 years. But see, most people would feel compelled to justify their own existence. Hey, let's make Troy a wide receiver. Let's try that. Right? So a lot of it is ego-driven. got to screw with it because otherwise I'm not important. A lot of it is ignorance. If people don't know, if they don't have what's worked, then they kind of have to invent. And a lot of times they're easily seduced because they are pretty ignorant of what's been going on. So I want to show you a couple of examples, recent examples, and then confess to you. So you understand. So this is a, a four-page mailer for a client of mine who pays me a lot of money to write copy. Okay. And I'll just show you the main inside page of it because it's big enough for you to see and make the point. So this is big money in big chunks. All okay. right? This is how to make big money in big chunks, earn big chunks of money fast, okay? New and urgent, how would you like to make money in big chunks fast? Receive checks for 5000 10000 even $30,000 Work home with your computer, FedEx brings them to you, yada, 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 okay? So I was inspired um, by a piece by Harvey Brody from 1962 called Big Chunks Fast. I got a lot of money to write this copy. I found this copy. Now, I then wrote some of it, but the idea is from 1962, from an opportunity campaign in 1962. A, why invent one so I could sit around in my office? with legal pads and smoke grass and use a thesaurus and do whatever else it is that you do to be a creative person coming up with this. Or I could go to a great opportunity marketers file and I could get an idea that I know already worked. Right. Now, which one is better for me? Come on, to this. Which one's better for the client? This. Now he would think the other way, right? Because he's giving me a lot of money, so there ought to be some pain. You should be inventing. But this is much better for the client. We already know this worked. So I could run an experiment with his money and I could take five things and we'd have to split test five things. And Now we gotta go buy Google AdWords to see which headline might outpull the other one and we gotta do all this stuff before we can be in the mail. Or I can just go get this one, dust it off, change some language here and there, stick the guy in and we can put this baby in the mail. No test, no split test, no nothing. Mail 50,000 of them. Right? Kicks butt takes names. Pretty confident it would. I got to do a seminar campaign for Greg Stanley. He's a titanium member of mine. Right. So what am I going to do? So here's the cover of this thing. Top secret uh, dossier, mission, double your production in 120 days. Uh, the future is at world. And so it's a whole spy theme, uh, top secret, confidential Uh, themed piece. Look familiar to anybody? Yannick Silver's Underground Seminars. I did those first two pieces too. Then we have, caution, contents in this one are too hot to handle without gloves. And there's a little plastic glove enclosed. Which, by the way, you buy them by the pair, so it only costs you half as much of a pair to do each one of these. Okay. So there's a little plastic glove enclosed with this little mail piece and that's inside this other thing. And it's caution, uh, are too hot to handle without gloves, right? It's exactly the same thing I did for Roy Fat restaurant marketing systems, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in reinventing. I'm definitely not interested in inventing unless it is absolutely essential and it really ought not be. So there's a, there's a powerful wealth strategy. So what people do when they start to have money is they use it intelligently to acquire and implement more rather than to invent. That's why you see companies acquire other companies. Right? It's not probably that they couldn't build it from scratch, but since they have the dough, it's better to get on with the implementation than to engage in the invention. So I did all kinds of invention when I was broke, and I did a ton of it when I was dumb and broke, which by the way, is not a real great time to do it because it's slow, <laughs> all right. But why do that anymore? I have a big room full of stuff. I can go find something. Somebody, see Brody already, Split tested in 1963, a bunch of stuff to get to that one. I don't need to run those tests again. The mind of the customer hasn't changed any in 1963. A bunch of people wanted big hunks of cash then. A bunch of people want big hunks of cash now. As soon as I saw it, I said, oh, yeah, these customers are going to love this. This is exactly what they want. The thing we can change in the story now is FedEx comes to your door and brings you the big hunk of cash. When Harvey ran it, FedEx wasn't doing that. So why invent, right? So the fourth of the ten, the way to double your income is to implement more, invent less. So I have a proposition for you. Would you like to borrow from the best, implement more, and invent less a lot. That's correct, you're supposed to say yes. Okay, so some of you are aware, some of you own volume one of what there are now volume twos of. So there is a thing, Somebody is probably gonna pass this thing out to you if you don't already have it. The thing available to you does not look like the picture on this thing. Mm-hmm. That's sort of where we started. <laughs> so there is a thing called the Archives Collection, which is a giant compilation. I will just show you bulk to start with. This is the bulk. If you like bulk, there's bulk. Good news, unlike most of my work, there's an index. (laughs) You are actually, there you go. You are actually getting an index. So there are now two volumes. Six months ago there was only one, and two is the last, by the way. So this is an excavation of literally every room in my house, every storage shed I own, every piece of paper, every document, every marketing thing, every everything. And we went through it, and I picked the stuff I thought, in some cases, just more fascinating than others. But for the most part, most useful of all of it. And every single item, so let me find... Maybe I can show you so every single item in here let's find a marketing piece. so every single item in here so this is this is item one hundred and fifty two in volume one um, it's on no excuse me this is item forty four in volume one it's on page one hundred and fifty two and it is a mailing piece only to Canadian lists for General Cassette from 1987 for a very specific purpose, okay? And so the whole piece is here, not pieces of it, the whole piece is here. If it was in full color, it's in full color, and new notes. So every item has with it, so after I chose the items, I made notes for you of why I was giving it to you, how it was used, in most cases what the results were, the specific purpose it served. So if you're going to rip it off and use it for a specific purpose, it's useful to know the purpose that it was used for, right? Most of it is either my own, stuff I did for me, or stuff I did for clients. The client work alone, okay, they paid over $30 million for it. It's at least generated over two billion dollars. These are all actual items. Then in both volumes, and I'll describe them to you, there are also actual artifacts and replicas. So like of a particular infomercial, there's a DVD of the infomercial. Of the first promotional book I ever did, we have reproduced the promotional book exactly as we did it and sent it out in the first place. There are exclusive audio and DVD items, which I will describe to you, that have not seen the light of day anywhere since their use and that you can't get anywhere else and there's a reason they were chosen and put in here. By the way, you should have seen everything I threw out. we have to live in a really nice neighborhood, but thank God our trash guys are not yet, we don't have to separate anything, and they haul everything away. So they were very busy last year, and maybe some, maybe, maybe one of them is going to get very, very rich. I don't know. So there's a complete, because even the stuff I threw away was pretty good. There's a complete index. There's a total in both volumes of 517 items. All right. Now that's a sales letter, that's an ad, that's an audio script, that's a postcard, that's the 517 items. There's 1137 pages, plus the artifacts, plus the audio, plus the DVDs. So let me give you some of the highlights. So in volume one, number two, for example, is my first business-to-business lead generation ad ever. Number 10 is my first information product ad. Number 19 and 20 come from my first paid copywriting jobs for success industry clients. Number 26 is my first niche market catalog. Number 38 through 40 is the original ad, the 16-page sales letter, and the first testimonial book that we did for Gold by the Inch, which took that company from about a $200,000 a year business to a $20 million business. Million, million business. Uh, number 55 is the original $4,000 a day in your underwear ad. Number 61 is the original magalog for the No BS Marketing Letter, which hardly anybody has seen. Uh, number 87 is a True Stories, kind of like True Confessions magazine format of testimonials that we used for psycho Number 115 is the original Free Money Letter I wrote for Michael Kimball for Getting Joint Ventures, which was fabulously successful. Number 119 and 120 are their for fun than anything else there are my political ads i got paid to write They're full page newspaper ads is an anti-hillary ad and uh and an anti-gore ad um number 120 uh, number 146 very important is an appointment no sale letter uh in its particular use it brings 16% of the people who did not buy when they got a presentation back to buy of their own volition. There's a membership upgrade letter, 169 to 195 is some of the best stuff I did for restaurant marketing. Um, 229, there's a complete sales presentation. It's actually a PowerPoints presentation now. It used to be a flipbook presentation that was used in the personal development business called How Can I Tap More of My Potential. Anybody who sells any kind of coaching, training, anything could benefit from having that. Number 200, I'm still in volume one, by the way. Number 273 is a copy of a complete promotion toolkit CD promoted to, given to people to convince them to and help them to promote my book. Everything we gave them to put online, everything we gave them to use physically, it's all there. Now here's the artifacts. So in volume one, there's the first promotional book. Let me see if I can find artifacts. In volume one, yeah, yeah. Here's artifacts. So there's a couple of CDs and DVDs. So there's the original uh, $4,000 a day sitting at the kitchen table in your underwear book that people requested that sold that course. We reproduced the actual book exactly as we used to send it out. The very first promotional book I ever did, which was prepared on a typewriter, by the way, uh, so we reproduced it exactly as it was sent out. There's the first copy ever of Philosophy of Success magazine, which most of you would not even know existed, but here's the first copy of that. So there's, there's actual artifact items reproduced exactly as we used them, not just copied The audio artifacts, there's a promotional cassette from 1985 called Expensive Experience, which sold the Money Business Success course, really the first high-priced course I ever sold. There's a practice promotion, Uh, recording from 1988 that was sent out to people who came to our seminars and did not buy or people who registered for the seminars and did not come that then sold them the practice building system, the video artifacts, the original go-by-the-inch infomercial in there, uh, the original magnetic marketing speeches in there, and finally a collection of my custom cartoons that I've had made over the years by people like Vince Palco and others that could be used by other people and you have a limited use license to, in fact, use those cartoons as your own. That's highlights from Volume 1. Volume 2, which is brand new and available for the first time here. Volume 2, let's see. Number 362, 363, and 364, they show a complete lead generation campaign used to very successfully enter a niche. (laughs) Number 388 is a classic hidden benefit ad. Number 399 is the first shock and awe package that I ever did. The entire shock and awe package is there. Uh, Number 402 is the original Darren Garman investor lead generation ad as it ran in Forbes. Number 411 and 412 uh, are examples including the complete testimonial book from the shed shop, which is a a little business I did a bunch of work for at one time that sells and installs backyard sheds. He was selling at the time at five to eight times, everybody else, all the competitors in his area. We sort of affectionately called the book we put together for him Chicken Soup for the Shed Lover's Soul because that's exactly how it was created. It's people telling their emotional stories about owning sheds. The entire book is in there. Uh, 457 is a single piece of paper, could be very useful to you. I call it the How You Should Decide to Buy page, and it tells people how they should decide to buy. Uh, 464 is a transcript of my million dollar speech. 474, we're going to talk about upsells before we're done with these three sessions of the 10 ways to double your income. An immediate upsell phone script is in here from FitQuest. And so FitQuest, for many years, sold a product like NordicTrack on TV and they would take an order for the Nordic Track, I forget the price point, and immediately before they shipped it, they would call back and upsell them to a better version of that Nordic Track product at almost double the price. The entire phone script is in here. The very first issue of my newsletter is in here. The very first issue of Renegade Millionaire Magazine is in here. And in the artifacts, we have the Shed Shop infomercial which is shot in people's natural habitats with them weeping of, with joy, telling us their stories about their backyard sheds. And if you think you have a mundane, ordinary, commoditized product, you ought to see how emotional people can get about backyard sheds. There's two audio CDs made from cassettes that were in that first shock and awe package I ever built. And there's an audio recording of my 2010 presentation on Opportunity Concept Marketing. And finally, from a seminar I did in... Mm, 2002. So how many of you were not around with me in 2002? Not around. Raise your hands. I'll oh, see you all missed this. So in here from that seminar on copywriting, as it was given out, and it's a little messy, but exactly as it was used at the seminar is an 88-page Chinese menu for copywriting, meaning pick something from column A, pick something from column B, pick something from column C, tack them together, and smooth out the edges. So the Chinese menu includes headlines, 12 headline templates, envelope teaser copy, clusters of subheads, opening paragraphs, objections and answers, guarantees, PS's. It includes mine, Halbert's, some from Chase Ravel. If you don't know who Chase is, he created Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, All the way back, Napoleon Hill, Caples, Ted Nicholas and Jay Abraham. So the entire Chinese menu of copywriting that was used at that seminar is also in there. And I've only given you some quick highlights. You have the entire list of, um, of everything in front of you uh, on the order form, and you have a order form. On the order form, there's one factual error that I would like to correct. Um, Darcy has credited me with having sold 22 million copies of Magnetic Marketing. Um, I love you all, but had I actually sold 22 million copies of Magnetic Marketing, somebody else would be standing up here doing this. I'd have been a puff of smoke on my way to an island quite a while ago. Um, uh, so it's, it, it's actually approaching 70 million dollars worth of magnetic marketing, which is still a substantial number. I'm giving you the retail number of course, uh, but not 22 million. But anyway, you have an order form at the end of that monstrosity that they gave you or stuck in the middle and you basically have four choices. You can get volume one only, You can get volume two only if for some reason the things in volume two interest you more than in volume one. Uh, You can get volume one and two, on which you save 20%. And if you already own volume one and you now are just getting volume two, you still have some savings uh, passed on to you. With, keep it up there, with either option three or option four, Uh, I will also send you a copy of all the slides and notes from this entire presentation and my price strategy coming up. And if you're one of the first 50 to get your butt back there and take one of those options, you will be invited to a 90-minute marathon Q&A call after you've had time to work with the archive so that you can ask me questions about items you find in there and how to apply them to your own business. We're only gonna put 50 on the call so I could pretty much get to everybody who wants to play during the 90 minutes that we do the call. If you want to invent less and you want to implement more, and there are, how many in here have volume one? Now you'll learn more looking around at everybody else and looking at me. So keep your hands up if you have already extracted something from volume one that you have put to profitable use, okay? There you go, okay? That tells you the story you need to be told. So that's the end of our first segment. I will be back whenever your agenda tells you I am supposed to be back, about which I have no idea, but I'll be here when I'm supposed to be, and we will resume with item five. Thank you very much. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you'd also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.